Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, joined by my co-host and editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fortney. News Data covers the energy sector in California, the Northwest, and beyond like no one else. We're here with some of our top stories. Jason, how are you doing today? Great, Dan. How's everything? I'm good, Jason. I've been looking over a study that Bonneville Power Administration commissioned to look at the costs uh, related to breaching the lower Snake River dams. The four dams are part of the federal uh, hydropower system in the Columbia River Basin. And they've become a flashpoint for advocates between advocates of public power, decarbonization, and advocates of uh, fish mitigation, conservation. The dams, according the fish advocates say the dams, breaching the dams are the best hope for getting four endangered species of fish in the, uh, in the Lower Snake River off the Endangered Species Act list. Advocates for public power and decarbonization say that the dams are critical to the Northwest and just Westwide uh, power grid and provide huge benefits to integrate renewables, uh, and also produce a lot of zero carbon emissions, uh, zero carbon emissions power. So BPA commissioned a study to look at what it would take to replace the power attributes of the dams if they were breached. The, they had uh, six different scenarios here with price tags on them. Five of them are in line with uh, similar to the price tags in other studies that have come out recently on this issue. And that that's, uh, so there's, so there's five scenarios, uh, that are, have similar price tags to other ones. And they're about like in the 11 to $12 billion ranges. One of them's just under 20 billion. Uh, all of these five scenarios involve using some amount of natural gas and clean hydrogen combustion to make up for the capacity of the Lower Snake River dams. Now there's one scenario, one other scenario, the sixth scenario, the deep decarbonization with no new combustion that just replaces their generation, the dam's generation, with zero carbon emission renewable resources. The price tag for that. $42 $42 billion to $77 billion. That is an eye-popping number that is sure to get some attention and uh, sure to get a lot of criticism thrown at it. Not, I'm not saying it's, there's anything wrong with it, but it is going to be something that uh, proponents of breaching the dams, I'm sure, are going to take issue with such a big number. That said... Replacing the generation of these dams, which I believe they have a nameplate capacity of about 3,500 megawatts. Yeah, and they provide 2,300 megawatts of firm peaking capability. You know, making up for that, in addition to their ability to smooth, you know, intermittent resources coming on, provide voltage support, etc. I mean, it's no small feat. And the study, the scenario, it's looking at adding... In that forty-two to seventy-seven billion dollar scenario, it would add ten point six gigawatts of wind and one point four gigawatts of uh, solar, and that would 
increased the kilowatt hour price by three, almost three to five and a five and a half cents per kilowatt hour uh, for the public power rate, which would be significant to say the least. Um, and that is going to frustrate some public power uh, proponents and, and uh, make them, they'll be able to point to this and say, see, you know, we, we need to keep the dams. Um, it's really becoming a increasingly controversial flashpoint here uh, with public officials now, some public officials uh, who've always been stalwart defenders in the past of uh, pub- of hydropower, we're now seeing some public officials uh, come out and kind of open the door to breaching these dams. Uh, so Washington's Governor Jay Inslee and one of the state's two senators, Patty Murray, recently released a draft report uh, that that said that uh, breaching the dams is the best hope for restoring these four species of fish, uh, including uh, salmon and, um, I believe, steelhead. Uh, So this is going to be really interesting to see the reaction to this. Uh, I know the White House, through its Council of Environmental Quality, has been involved with talks in the region around these issues, this question of the future of the Lower Snake River dams. So this is not an under-the-radar issue. This is getting a lot of attention. It will get a lot more to come. So stay tuned. Some interesting findings there in that study. These dams are... Uh, can be there can be some emotion behind them for public power you know they have history at the same time they're just tools really facilities but here you are not study you'll be writing that up this week i will be yeah there's going to be hearing about it before the northwest power and conservation council so what's uh what's going down in california here in california the industry and uh, people are still digesting the recent uh budget additions um that are going to create this new strategic reliability reserve. Just to briefly go over it, this reserve would be administered by the California Department of Water Resources, and it allows DWR to contract and purchase finance uh, new generation for additional capacity. Uh, the state is saying this will be used only during emergencies. Um, there's a lot to this bill. It also gives the California Energy Commission some increased siting authority Really got a lot of pushback from environmental community and localities who see this as uh, bypassing their ability to, you know, have have a say over new generation. Um, what I focused on in this story was the markets, and you know, when you have state subsidized generation coming in, competing with private generation, uh, it can create issues. I talked to Jan Smutney Jones, who's executive director of Independent Energy Producers. Uh, said this new effort doesn't really raise alarms as long as it's temporary and as long as the state's subsidized generation doesn't begin crowding out private investment generation out of the wholesale markets. He said, "Quote: I'm expecting this to be very short term. Um, if it's not, then it's a big problem. Energy producers have been able to add renewables, natural gas, and storage through the competitive market." According to uh, Jan, he hopes the new planning regime, quote, is not a permanent feature of how we go about things. It could be counterproductive in the long term. The big issue, the big issue is making sure our markets for resource adequacy and new generation get stabilized and back to business. Also talk, uh, talk to our friend Travis Kavula, um, who's former Montana Public Service Commission and former Western EIM 
governing body. He said, quote, California already has a comprehensive regulatory approach to resource adequacy in the state. Layering additional programs on top of this complex system could result in unintended consequences, such as bidding up the cost of reliability projects that would face competition from both traditional buyers of resource adequacy and new governmental procurements. Talked to a couple of other people that said, uh, you know, projects will also be competing for supplies with the tight supply chain. So uh, a little bit of jitters out there about this new generation. Uh, it's definitely coming. DWR did add some last year, too. Uh, from what I've heard, they've not been utilized yet. And the other controversy is most of this backup is going to be gas powered. So, yeah, interesting sort of Hail Mary here from California. Um, Governor Newsom has, there's been a lot of talk about him having an eye on the White House and blackouts are political poison. So I think that's one reason for this. This is all based on his plan. Interesting. So, yeah, it's a big deal. This strategic reserve, you know, it's, these are not small numbers. It's uh, over $5 billion. Um, so what we kind of have here is a, a planning regime, obviously, of adding tons of renewables over the past few years and now having to build out uh, emergency generation for those uh, net peak demand periods in the evenings. But uh, yeah, reliability, not an issue so far this summer, but um, you know it hasn't really gotten that hot yet. So we'll see how that goes. So yeah, uh, little discussion of that new package from the legislature. What, what else is going on in the Northwest? Washington State's Department of Ecology recently modeled three different market structures for the state's new carbon cap and invest program to reduce CO2 emissions. The cost of emissions under these different structures vary considerably. Uh, so far, the, the option of linking the carbon market to California and Quebec's emissions markets likely would produce the lowest costs that businesses would pay per metric ton of carbon about $41 per metric ton uh, when the program starts in January for, on January 1st, 2023. Uh, yeah, that's right. another interesting thing to watch for. And mm -hmm. let's see, you've got, uh, you've got something going on with FERC down there. Yes, the FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, our friends in Washington, D.C. Uh, yeah, I did another story in uh, Friday's CEM about uh, the refund orders that FERC has been ordering from the summer of 2020. Uh, since April, FERC's been issuing these refund orders, instructing sellers to pay back revenue from sales made in the Western Electricity Coordinating Council, or WEC, which covers much of the West, including California. Uh, these refunds apply to sales that were made in WEC, uh, but outside the California independent system operator. This part of WEC has a $1,000 per megawatt hour soft price cap. FERC required refunds for any sales that exceeded the Intercontinental Exchange Index price. Then um, it had a, an interpretation of the Mobile Sierra doctrine. Uh, Mobile Sierra requires that FERC assume a power contract is just and reasonable unless it seriously harms the public interest. FERC said Mobile Sierra does apply here, but it went ahead and issued these refunds, which really created uncertainty uh, as to whether transactions that are done 
in these situations will hold. Um, doesn't make it any easier for energy traders. And we had a the, the core of this story was the Western Power Trading Forum and EPSA, which is the Electric Power Supply Association, um, which is a national trade organization for competitive power suppliers. They wrote FERC uh, regarding these refund orders saying uh, they misapplied Mobile Sierra and are enforcing market rules in a way that might have negative impacts on the market during tight supply conditions. Uh, they In the letter, Western Power Trading Forum EPSA said FERC should reaffirm its adherence to Mobile Sierra absent a demonstration of harm to the public interest and reconsider its application of the ICE index in this case. They said uncertain mar market outcomes are also exacerbated by the fact that WEC has a $1,000 per megawatt hour price cap while just in the neighboring CAISO bids of up to $2,000 per megawatt hour are permitted if they're justified. Here's a quote from the letter. The commission appears to be tempting to have it both ways, acknowledging the Mobile Sierra doctrine applies in these cases, but ignoring that doctrine in a novel manner related to market-based rate authority. Mobile Sierra is key to providing confidence that prices agreed to by buyers and sellers will be honored, unquote. Um, <clears throat> and then the ICE bids, uh, they, they don't like using uh, the ICE index as a sort of cap here. And... Um, they said that the soft offer cap is in desperate need of modernization. It was created during the 2000-2001 Western energy crisis. My personal, uh, there's 21 different dockets on these refund orders. It's a big deal in the West. I would be shocked if it doesn't go to litigation. And uh, But none of that will be settled by uh, when things get crazy this summer. So a little bit more of a monkey wrench in the Western energy markets here. Uh, there is no shortage of those. No, never a dull moment. So uh, I'm sure, well, you know, FERC will, there'll be some rehearing requests. FERC will probably turn them down and it'll probably go to court. So we'll see what happens this summer. So what else do you have there from clearing up? Well, just uh, speaking of FERC, they uh, said in a draft environmental impact study that a proposed gas uh, pipeline expansion uh, the, which would increase the gas transmission Northwest line uh, the with, under the GTN Express project would not result in significant environmental impacts with the exception of potential impacts on climate change. Hmm. So then uh, that the, the, would increase the capacity of a line that is, uh, that's owned and operated by TC Energy running from British Columbia uh, through the Northwest to Northern California. It's a 1,377 mile long line. As you can read more about that story, it's by uh, Rick Adair. It's on our website. Um, let's see, just uh, in the last couple of minutes here, Jason, what do you have anything else for us? Yeah, we have a little item from California Public Utilities Commission on June 30th. They issued a proposed order to adopt protocols for plug-in electric vehicle submetering and cross-component communications. CPUC, this is just a proposed order from Commissioner Clifford Rechstaffen. Uh, this CPC says this will save consumers from installing, having to install a separate utility meter to utilize both an EV specific electricity rate and a time of use rate for primary service. 
Uh, the order would be applicable to the state's large IOUs and small and multi-jurisdictional utilities. Um, the commission accepted IOUs, IOUs proposed 24-month timeline to incorporate submetering into their billing systems, but they would be required to begin accepting submetering applications and perform all the necessary billing reconciliation for submetered customers within 90 days while updating the billing systems. Uh, again, a proposed order here. Um, commission will take a look at it, probably hold a hearing, and we'll see what happens with that. But a little bit more detail on the um, the EV submetering technology here, sounds like. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Mm -hmm. That's all for me, Dan Catchpole. Thanks for listening. As always, please rate and review our podcast and share it with folks if you like it. And Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues, Sarah Wooten at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucas Smith at Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Catchpole. And my co-host, Jason Fordney, is on Twitter at Fordney Energy. Thanks for listening to Newsdata's Energy West. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. Follow us on Twitter. CEM is at CEM Newsdata. That's the letter CEM Newsdata. Clearing up is at CU Newsdata. Again, that's the letter CU Newsdata. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to Newsdata's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Tomorrow. 